Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. At the end of the episode, we will play a short story from Twisted Reunion. That story is Wrong Side Tavern. Now... More importantly, I have a very special guest today. I mentioned him last week. I was on his podcast, Slasher Sports Cinema. This is Billy Graves. We had an incredible conversation. I wanted to talk some more. So here he is, Billy. Thank you so much for coming on. No, sir. Thank you for having me, giving me a platform to speak on. Man, I'm excited to talk to you. It was a really good conversation last time, and it's good to continue it. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, no, that's something I tell my kids, like, when I have that kind of conversation, I connect with someone, you know, that's similar that I could relate to and just have a good conversation. Like I'm motivated for the rest of the week. Like I'm, I'm up, I'm excited. I'm just in a better place. So that's what happened. So yeah, let's do that again. Now, let's. let me, if you could tell, tell my audience a little bit about you, you know, where'd you grow up? What was that like? I know you played football and then I think you also did some combat sports. So if I could hear a little bit about your background and then maybe we could work in how horror and this podcast came about. Sure thing. Sure thing. Well, Billy Graves, SlasherSports.com is who I'm representing here. Co-founded that with a good friend of mine named Christian Rowell. And Slasher Sports is kind of where horror meets sports because I've always said that those are not two different subgroups of culture. You, I grew up playing baseball mostly. I played football, played a little basketball, but baseball was my first love. And football was kind of the thing that I did to, to appear cooler the girls you know what i'm saying so you know baseball guys didn't get the love back then the football players they got all the attention so i was a fast runner too damn small to play really anything because i was too small to tackle anybody so there went being a defensive back i was basically too too short to jump over anybody and catch a football so there went being a wide receiver right but i was on the team because i come from a, a one horse town very small town of westmoreland tennessee and if I could think of one thing to be the claim to fame of Westmoreland, I couldn't do it because we don't have one. We do not have. I live in a town now called Portland, Tennessee, about 15 miles up the way from Westmoreland. And the claim to fame for Portland is we have a guy who made it to the NBA. His name is Corey Brewer. He's all we have. But then again, we do have a local, local singer. His name was Ronnie McDowell. If you ever heard a song called Older Women Make Beautiful Lovers, that's our guy. That is our guy. But, I mean, we're about half an hour north of Nashville, Tennessee. Mm. So, again, a, a basically a one-horse town. As soon as I graduated high school, man, I was off to the Navy. Uh, there's nothing going on here. Uh, I'm like uh, Steve Earle, volunteered for the Army on my birthday because they draft white trash first around here anyway. So <laughs> they're not drafting anymore, but it's kind of the same song. There's not a lot of opportunity here other than, you know, your blue collar work. And I wanted something a little bit bigger, you know, a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, but once I, I left the Navy, did four solid years there, was stationed over in San Diego, down in San Antonio, saw a lot of the world, man. Saw a lot of places I probably never would have seen had I not, you know, been uh, serving. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Horror film has always kind of been my fallback. When I don't have anything else to do, 
don't have anything to do something, you know, somebody, something with, I know I can always throw on a horror flick, grab some hot chocolate or some, some popcorn and, and make a night, you know, for a little bit of me time. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's got to have their me time. You can't be putting on the, the dog and pony show 24 hours a day. It's exhausting. You know, now, when did you, when did you discover horror and did you like it immediately? Cause I do, I used to love it. Now I really can't watch it. My wife laughs at me all the time. I'm very squeamish. I don't like seeing violence. I don't like seeing stuff that's disgusting. Like I'll write it, but I don't want to see it. So you don't have to physically see it in front of you. <laughs> yeah. So when, when did, when did you realize that this was something that you really enjoyed? Okay, so this is something I do not suggest to anybody in the world. There, you know how they used to say marijuana is a gateway drug. The oldest song in the book, right? <laughs> oldest song in the book. Well, there's gateway horror, and there's a right way to do this. Like if you want to get your kids into horror, there's a way to do it. It's not by showing them Texas Chainsaw Massacre at four years old. Okay, that's just not the way you do it. But if if you'll indulge me on the story, it's one I do like to tell, you know, growing up, we I wouldn't say we were impoverished, but coming from a very blue collar family, my stepdad was a, a welder. My mom was a homemaker and there were five of us, five kids rather total. So we didn't have a ton. We weren't doing without, but we didn't have a ton. So every now and then. My parents would go off on date night. Sometimes I'd go, sometimes I wouldn't. But, you know, when you make that kind of low wage, date night is pretty special, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't get to do it. It's not every Saturday. It's like a Saturday a month, maybe, mm -hmm. you know? So my parents are off on date night. But let me, let me rewind just a little bit. I walk through the living room and I look on the TV and there's like a movie playing. And I'm like, oh boy, what is that? But no, Billy, uh-uh, you get in your room, you can't watch this. Well, what's the number one way to get somebody to want to do something? Tell them they can't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, make it, make it taboo, make it something that's forbidden. You know, don't see that boy, they're sneaking out the window the next night. Oh, well, I'm mm -hmm. going to see that boy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I wait for date night. And I'm, I'm four years old at this point, okay? And I don't really remember anything past four years old or like before four years old. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's how old I was. I can't really tell you for sure. But I wasn't in school yet. I knew how to operate a VCR and that's all I needed to know. So my parents go off on date night and I sneak into their closet and I push all the adult films out of the way because I don't know what any of that is. I don't know who Indiana Joan is. <laughs> I don't care anything about the girls from cell block F, <laughs> you know, that's not any of my business. Yeah. What they went to jail for is their business. <laughs> but but I, I push all that out of the way and I find the tape I saw sitting on top of the VCR Friday, the 13th part two. So I take a good look at the cassette. And if you'll remember, you know, the cassettes, the video cassettes, you would have little pieces of the of the tape on mm -hmm. each side. You, you know, if is it in the middle? How much do I need to rewind, right? Well, I was, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I think it might be crafty. I think it might be, I, I, I really can't place the word. But what I did was I put in the tape. 
I press play, I see which part the movie is on, that way I know where to rewind it back to after I finish the film on my own, <laughs> okay? They're, they're, they're probably thieves and murderers who grew up with that kind of mentality. I got out of that, so I'm, I'm okay. I promise I'm okay. But I watched this film by myself in a parent's room, and... I'm just blown away because there's so much ambiance, not just a scary guy in a potato sack over his face. It, mm. It's not just the beheading that you see in the first minute of, you know, the is basically the, the, the rewind from the first part of Friday, the, but the, the music, the, the, the ambiance, the sound effects, the, the, gra the grainy footage. I was just enthralled by what I saw out of Friday, the 13th part two. And I said, man, there's got to be more of this. I want to see more of this. What, what comes next? Well, next came part three, which was in 3D. So that really fucked my head up too. So wait a minute. Things can jump out of the screen at me while I'm watching it? Well, it was a little bit ruined because I hated the hockey mask. I wish they had kept the, uh, the potato sack, but that's me as a kid being, you know, finicky. So that's where it started, man. Friday the 13th part two. And it was a complete package, not just Jason, not just, uh, you know, the, the creative kills, I guess, but the music, that, that off-tone violin, the screeching violin, the, the chase scenes, everything about that film was just perfect to me. And now today, if you really look into my, my interests in film, it all can really be drawn back to that film. Mm -hmm. and it just kind of like this is where it started anything i like now is probably going to be one or two degrees of difference from friday the 13th part two mm -hmm. now there's a weird question but what else what was childhood like was it was it rough at all was it was there tension was there because i know for some people they've talked about how horror was kind of an escape you know, they're already maybe seeing some tough stuff or experiencing some hard stuff. And that could be the draw to horror. Do you know, like looking back, could you say, you know, maybe there was some of that or I don't know. What do you think? No, that, that's a good question because that, that does hold true for a lot of people. I can tell you right now, for me, there were traumatic things that happened as everything, everybody has some sort of trauma. However, I have nothing to really complain about as far as my childhood goes. I have a father, I have a stepfather, and I have a mother. And most, you know, have two. Some people don't have, you know, any parents. You know, they, they, were, they depend on the grandparents. They only had like a single mom, a single dad. There was a thing, though, that kind of, first of all, I'm an only boy, okay? Had four sisters and... My father did suffer from some mental health episodes, okay? And some of the earliest memories in life were my father instigating fights with my stepfather when my father would be like off of his meds, okay? He, he suffered from manic depressive psychosis. And basically what would happen, because my father was a, a, a veteran and also retired from the railroad, had very good retirement, um, and was taken care of by the VA medically when, you know, but Hey, there's, you know, the VA is pretty well garbage sometimes. Okay. So they're not going to, yeah, they're going to promise to see you. Doesn't mean they're always going to take care of you. 
Well, sometimes, you know, if my dad wasn't able to, you know, take his meds or if he just stayed off his meds, he might have some episodes. And like, for example, and I'm not here to like bash him or anything, but to raise some awareness of what types of things, you know, can go down like that. And, and before I get too far into it, I take it really personally when I see people self-diagnosing with mm-hmm. depression. Okay. And you can't tell me it doesn't happen. You cannot tell me it doesn't happen. The numbers are up on people claiming to be depressed when what they really mean is they're bored. Mm. They don't, they don't have anything. Depression is a mental disability. It's not a game to be played to get, you know, internet likes Mm. to get internet sympathy. This is a real deal thing. People really struggle with. My father once tried to run over a gas pump at a local store in his 85 Dodge Ram. Okay. And that could have gone really badly. Mm-hmm. Could have gone very badly. The The gas pump was no more than 15 feet away from the, the, the store, uh, the front door of the store. It's like a little country general store. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he showed up at, at school one time and wasn't allowed to, you know, take me out to sign me out rather because they knew that he was, you know, on some kind of rampage. Mm-hmm. Um, he shot at vehicles driving too fast, but what he deemed to be too fast past his home. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these are things that mentally depressed people do when they don't get the help that they need, or if they wave off the help mm-hmm. that, that they need, because that's what he was doing. Sometimes I'm not going to take my fucking meds. I'm going to, I'm going to get off of them and I'm going to raise some hell is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I don't want to paint a bad picture of him because he was not a bad person. In fact, everybody in the community would tell you, man, at his best, he's one of the funniest bastards I ever met. And, and it's true. Hmm. One of the quickest witted people that I say that, I mean, he's my dad. Of course, I'm going to, I'm going to church it up a little bit and say, oh, he's great. But I mean, the, the fact is this is coming from different people around the community, you know, mm-hmm. that he was just a really funny guy, but man, those episodes sneak up and he turns into a complete tyrant. Now he has since passed, so he can't beat me down for saying anything about it. Nor would he. He would. He would probably be saying, "You know what? Yeah, that was fucked up, and I did it. I, I hate mm-hmm. that I did." But he finally did get. You know, he he stayed on his meds. He he died proclaiming that he and my stepfather were were actually now good friends, and that's all I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. All I needed to hear. He you know he did keep a picture of my mother. Uh, it was like a, it, it's such a, a weird picture, though, because I can't tell if it's a photograph or if it's a painting. It's it's one of those that I, I can't tell. But it was like one where she was really young and a friend of his asked, hey, who is that? And he said, well, that's my wife. And he said, I didn't know you were married. He's like, well, we haven't been married for 20 years, <laughs> but like I, I still say that. And she, yeah, she ended up marrying this other guy who at the beginning I didn't like him worth a damn, but. Now we're pretty good friends. The day that I heard that, the day that I heard we're pretty good friends, it was like a, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulder, you know, like there's no more, no more animosity here, Hmm. but I do not attribute my love of horror film to any of those occurrences. It's Hmm. just something that happened. I, I think my love of horror film may have been, my mom and stepdad saying, no, you can't fucking watch this. Go to your room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's just being a rebel. It's yeah. like it, and it's natural to all of us, I think. 
Yeah, because and, and what type of what kind of music were you into? Were you into, especially at a young age? At a young age, man, I can tell you right now, the first time I heard ACDC, it, it was just the same feeling as I had when I saw Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Okay. I said, oh, my God. Like, first of all, these chords, what are these sounds that I'm hearing? And first of all, ACDC tricks you because they have a look that says we're a bunch of tough guys. We wear tank tops and we have long hair and we're badasses. But if you take away the guitar and those screaming lyrics, you hear a very bluesy drum drum beat. Mm-hmm. And it's so good because their drummer, his name uh, Phil Rudd, never had to show out as a drummer. Never had to show out. But those power chords and those just belting vocals, ACDC was, was it. Again, the center of that spider web is ACDC. And everything that I like today is probably an offshoot of some some sort of element mm-hmm. from ACDC. That's funny because that's, yeah, that's the very first album that I heard too. It was at my next door neighbor's older brother had it. He put it on and I was like, okay, it's like that. That's what I like. So yeah, yeah I I'm wondering, and you know, and I, again, I wasn't supposed to watch horror movies. And so I was watching them at a young age. And I think that was definitely a lot of the draw for me too. Now let's go into, if you wouldn't mind, maybe some of the different genres, some of, cause sometimes I think it's like, Oh, I don't even know. Like there might be movies that I like that I even realized were or what I would consider horror. So can you kind of break down some of that and maybe some of your favorites in those genres? However, yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I can probably do you one better, man. I can probably think, you know, just off the top of my head, you know, maybe some subgenres because that's really important. You ask somebody, Hey, do you like horror films? Well, you're not being specific enough to me because are we talking slasher horror? Are we talking paranormal stuff? Are we talking home invasions? Are we talking like horror comedies? Because those are just as valid. The, the difference between, like I said, Friday the 13th and the Adams family, you know, the original TV series, that is a horror family. Um, no matter how you slice it, you're not going to be scared of anything you see, but it is their vibe. It is their way of life. It's their culture, I guess you could say is you know being strange and unusual and that's what horror is sometimes it is just strange and unusual but the first thing i want to do is challenge people to basically narrow down what kind of horror you like what actually scares you what makes you uneasy and what can you actually stomach to watch because it needs to be enjoyable as well if if you think that you like a maybe slasher horror but you can't stand the blood and guts there's horror for that. Halloween is a perfect example of slashers without blood and guts. There's blood. There's not a lot of gore mm-hmm. unless you're going to you know, pull out Rob Zombie's version of Halloween. But I mean, you, that that's you know something that you don't even have to do. You go back to the original Carpenter Halloween and you're looking at a pretty clean film. But let's take a look at some different subgenres. I guess, and maybe throw out a film or two that I can maybe suggest to listeners because it's Halloween. It's Halloween, daddy. We got to, we got to give them something to look at. But what I also want to do is maybe mention something that that maybe you haven't seen yet, you know, maybe something you haven't heard of. So yeah, indie films is really what I've been concentrating on lately and short films. Short films are, 
this is a whole different conversation maybe, but I can go all day on short films that I've seen just lately that have turned me into just a short film lover. But let's start with slashers. All right. So I've got a good friend named Steve Merlo, Canadian type of guy. So I'm not going to hold that against him, but he's got, he just put out a film called the Sawyer Massacre. The Sawyer Massacre. If you know anything about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know that the Sawyer family is who this is about. They're the crazy cannibals. So he put out a fan film, and I know those are dirty words, fan film. But honestly, fan films have come such a long way. It's not just somebody like me holding a, you know, my, my mom's video camera in the bathroom and, you know, filming just a, a bloody scene with, you know, pink pink dye or something it's just not the way it is these things have budgets they have actors who come straight out of you know college drama clubs and they want to make something good and they do but this one again directed by steve merlo it's a fan film it serves as a prequel to texas chainsaw so the film that we saw back in 70 whatever this leads up to that in the timeline and we do have to say it's a fan film so they don't get, you know, copyrighted. But this one is streaming right now for free on YouTube. Awesome. YouTube of all places. Just type in The Sawyer Massacre and it'll be right there. But if, if you need something a little cleaner, there's a film that just dropped and it's on Tubi TV. Tubi's probably one of my top three favorite streaming services because it's free and I don't like to pay for shit. <laughs> so, so I mean, it, it's going to have ads, but the name of this film is Terror Train, okay? And Terror Train was a film back in, I think, 1980 or 83. I'm thinking of two different films. I think it's 80, 1980, but it had Jamie Lee Curtis. David Copperfield had a, had a role in this one. And, like, if you don't know, I know you know, but if, if the listener doesn't know David Copperfield, he was, like, the guy. Yeah. When it came to onstage illusionist acts, you know, he was like the magician. People think about Chris Angel being the guy now, I guess. David Copperfield was that guy at that time in the 80s. Nobody was cooler than him either. He had that stage presence. He was a rock star just pulling quarters out of your ear, you know. So, but yeah, this one, it was a remake of that film. And, you know, it stars Robin Alomar. She's kind of a new chick on the block, but pretty good. And, and it, But this basically has an unknown cast to the casual viewer. And, and that's something I really like, Mark. Mm -hmm. I really like the unknown cast. I'm tired of seeing Tom Cruise. I'm tired of seeing, you know, the name actors because now I don't even see their character. I yeah. see them. I don't see Tom Cruise as Pete Maverick. I see Tom mm -hmm. Cruise pretending to fly a plane, right? Yeah. It's just hard to see anything but that once they get so famous. But skipping on paranormal films. Okay, I, I struggle to put paranormal on this list because I don't like paranormal films. They just don't interest me. But I know some people who will shit a chicken if I put if I put The Exorcist on the TV. Okay, and that's really the one that set the standard. The Exorcist set the standard for paranormal supernatural films. Did things that no other film had done. But I've got one that's just a little bit a little bit more a little bit cleaner, I guess you could say. Okay, and this one is called Coherence. And this is the one directed by that guy I told you about, Jim Burkett. The one that I didn't catch his audio the first time around. But you can find this one on Tubi, Hulu. It's even on Shudder. I didn't even realize it was on Shudder, but it's on Shudder. 
But it's basically about strange things starting to happen when this group of friends gathers for a dinner party. And it might have actually been a Thanksgiving situation. It also may have just been a regular dinner party. But basically a comet is passing overhead, okay? Some shit goes down when comets pass overhead, Mark. All right. If you don't believe me, just watch Maximum Overdrive and you know shit happens when a comet goes overhead. So, But this one is basically eight or nine friends. I think I said they're at a dinner party and they lose they lose power, you know, electricity, the lights go out. And at that point, they start checking the, 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 the street and there's one house, just one house that still has power. And they want to go see, like, hey, what's, you know, how do you have power? None of the rest of us have power. Well, a couple of guys leave, and they come back, but there's something different about the guys that just came back. They can't place what it is, but they know something is wrong. And I, I felt like it was one of those films that, how did I miss this when it came out? And it's funny because I'm talking to Jim he said that, like, listen, this film did not get really big in the United States, but somehow it got huge in China. What about this film makes the Chinese say, you know what? <laughs> we fucking love this film, but it blew up in China. I, I, I can't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, they like when it comes to creative, you know, the creative arts, Southeast Asia just does things a little bit differently, you know, and things are going to come to their attention that doesn't that just doesn't hit with us somehow mm-hmm. i don't know but a good friend of mine named patrick ray did a film and it's going to be good for those who like werewolf films okay it's not really your regular creature feature but like a straight up werewolf film because let's face it twilight really ruined me on werewolves <laughs> And, and and I don't know about the sparkly vampires very much, but an old-fashioned werewolf film, I'm down with. Mm-hmm. And this one's streaming on Tubi, Peacock, and Voodoo, and it's called I Am Lisa. And I Am Lisa is about a like a small town. Maybe that's why I identify with it. But a small town sheriff and her little underlings that uh, basically they brutalize Lisa, leave her for dead in the woods. While Lisa's out there dying, a werewolf comes around, comes along and, and bites her. And you know what happens when a werewolf bites you? Your ass is ready for some mayhem, right? So she's doing her little I spit on your grave type of revenge type of situation. And it makes her some really cool scenes. And knowing that it's an indie director putting this thing together with a pretty small budget, it's pretty mind-blowing. I, I, I like a good werewolf transformation. And this one has it. I, I think it's everything you want. No name actors. A fun, fun look without too much CGI. You know, all practical mm-hmm. effects. That's cool. Yeah, man. How do you feel about home invasion flicks? Because to me, those are the ones that scare me the most. That's super scary. I probably, I have a hard time watching any, especially if there's any kids involved. Yeah, I can't watch violence against kids. I just... No, man, I just can't do it. It well, if you and it seems like we are quite a bit alike, our our interests, save for maybe one or two things, Mm. are very much in line. And the horror that really gets to me is the stuff that I feel, in my opinion, that could happen at any moment. You know, Mm. the door could be knocked on right at this moment, 
And a crazed person could have different plans for my night. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I don't necessarily believe that there's going to be like a haunted vase in my hallway somewhere. (laughs) So that doesn't do anything for me. But a good home invasion really Mm -hmm. puts you on edge. And there's been quite a few good ones in the last little bit. And I'm talking about the Purge films, because like it or not, those are home invasions. Mm -hmm. The Purge are great films. There's one called Funny Games, where I wouldn't suggest it because there is some, actually there's two triggers, child violence and pet violence. And I know that's a big one for a lot of people. So I don't suggest that one. However, if you like seeing bad guys get their asses handed to them by a badass chick, there's one called Your Next, and it's on Peacock, which is a, a paid streamer. But you might be able to find a, a streaming <laughs> site here and there that you know maybe is showing Your Next. But Your Next is about the, the Davidson family. I think is what their name is, the Davidson or Davison family, and they're having a reunion. I think they're celebrating the parents' anniversary. And as a matter of fact, there's only one big name in this film, and it's Barbara Crampton. And if you know your '80s horror, Barbara Crampton is going to be kind of 80 scream scream queen royalty she was in chopping mall and a few other things but she's the mother of this of this family and you've got all the siblings a couple of brothers and a sister and they're all bringing their significant others one of which is ty west the guy who just directed x and pearl and the upcoming maxine house of the devil but Basically, this gang of mysterious killers, masked killers, which makes it even sexier. Basically, they start taking everybody out and they've got to survive. They're shooting arrows in. Ty West gets an arrow through the neck and that's the only spoiler I'm going to put. But there's some twists and turns and some violence at the end of this film. And it's fantastic. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Your Next is probably my favorite on this list, if I'm being honest about it. Mm. Uh, and, and then my final my final suggestion here, the good old-fashioned creature feature, all right? And I'm not talking werewolves or vampires. This is just an unknown creature, and it's called All Eyes. And this one is not streaming anywhere. But from what I found, especially on like Vudu and Prime, you can rent these films for little to nothing. It's not like those new releases that are still in theaters where you got to pay like six bucks to see it. Yeah. This is probably going to be like a $2.99, $3.99 rental. But again, it's called All Eyes. It stars Jasper Hammer, who was actually on my podcast not long ago. Really good dude. A really humble guy. He was actually telling people on social media that if you can show me that you've rented this film or even bought it, I will send you a handwritten autograph letter thanking you for doing such a thing. And like, who does that? Who does that? Yeah, very cool of him. But it's about a disgraced podcast host, not unlike you and me. But he he, he interviews this eccentric farmer who says he's got this beast or this monster living in the woods near his home. Well, Jasper Hammer's character has a past with this unknown monster because the guy who basically made him a disgrace died right there on his podcast by the hands of this monster. So he's got a bone to pick with him and he can clear his name by getting this interview out there. So I I hope that that list kind of, you know, encapsulates what you can see this Halloween. I don't hit me up for spoilers because I'm not going to spoil any of them, but I hope you have a lot of fun watching them. That's awesome, man. No, I appreciate that. And that's really cool to give them stuff that 
they've never seen. I, and I, I, I want to check out a couple of those. No doubt. No doubt. When you mentioned maximum overdrive, all I hear is the sound of a head being squished. Like, right? Isn't that, was that, was that maximum? About the, 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 there was the roller. Yeah. So there was that scene where they're, they're at the little league baseball field. Yeah. And, you know, one of the main characters is uh, the kid, right? The the one that rides the bicycle ends up mm-hmm. knowing Morse code, just recognizes it from the beeps on that one, the one vehicle. But they're at the ball field. The coach puts in a little bit of change into the Coke machine and the machine just starts going nuts, shooting cans out at everybody, killing them. And then there's this like a mini steamroller. Yeah. I don't know what that was, what that was doing there. Maybe it was flattening out the field. I don't know. But the kid falls down and here comes that roller and it sets up a pretty gruesome scene. Yeah. That that head squishing, it just squishes like a grape. Yeah, that, that's what's crazy. I was like, I, I just looked up when it was. I think it was 86. So I was 14. But yeah, that image, like, man, just little things. Yeah. And, it, and it had the ACDC soundtrack. What's that? It, oh, and it had a completely ACDC soundtrack. The, the Who Made Who album is essentially the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Oh, yeah. If you look at the, the song selection on Who Made Who, there are only like three original songs on there. The rest are going to be a couple. Well, there, there's a couple of instrumentals. There's the song Who Made Who. And then you've got some songs from the Fly on the Wall album. You've got You Shook Me All Night Long from Back in Black. Um, yeah. I mean, these are all just it's basically a, a compilation album plus a couple of instrumentals and who made who the title track. That's cool. Are there any, what are, let's say, three other scenes that have just really, like you could close your eyes and see them right now. Scenes that have really, really bothered you or, or stayed with you. Can you think of anything like that? As far as bothering me, no, I, I don't have like any, thankfully, I don't have any triggers mm-hmm. that, you know, some people may have, you know, a lot of people have issues with, you know, the, the kid violence. Some people may have suicide triggers. Some people may right. have self-harm triggers and things like that. I don't have any triggers, but when it comes to memorable scenes for me, mm-hmm. let me go back to Friday the 13th part two again. And this, you know... They really did a good job of finding people that you can identify with. And that's really where the camp counselor trope comes from, because they they fit all these archetypes. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got the head counselor. He's just an upstanding guy. You know, he's a good looking guy. And he's, he's got the girlfriend who's maybe a little misguided, but she's smart, too. And then you've got the flirty girl. You've got the athlete. You've got the slut. (laughs) You've got the man whore. (laughs) Well, this film has something that not a lot of other films have. As a matter of fact, I can only think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre having this this archetype. And it's the disabled guy, the guy in the wheelchair. So in Friday the 13th Part 2, Mark, who you actually love because he's hitting it off with this girl, Vicky. And you're thinking, oh, man, Mark, he's had it rough, but he's about to he's about to get busy with with pretty Vicky over here. Well, Vicky's gone to to change clothes, freshen up, put on some perfume because she's about to go to pound town with Mark. And Mark's there waiting and he hears some sounds out on the front porch. So he, you know, he wheels himself out there and you see this camera view just getting slightly closer to Mark. And and Mark's like, hello, hello. 
And then all of a sudden, this machete, God, just right across the face, it sticks in him. The the geography of this scene probably doesn't work out, so I wouldn't I wouldn't do too much math here to try and figure out if it's logical or not. But basically, he rolls down the steps backwards, and he well he rolls down the front porch steps backwards, and then turns and rolls down the the campground steps, which is like a big flight of steps that leads down to the beach. And the the grainy footage, the horrific violin, and the visual of him never tipping over, him just rolling backwards down these steps, it, it just firmly implanted in my brain. Mm-hmm. And that's number one. And that may have been the thing that sold part two to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at iconic scenes, how can you look any further than the exorcist all right there are a lot of scenes in this film that will fuck you up mark that will fuck you up completely especially if you're uber religious oh yeah because these these things go completely against what you believe they Mm -hmm. insult your deity they the, the the people you look up to in your church like she's basically taking a cross and doing just unspeakable things to herself with it but the one scene that gets me again involves stairs. The one where basically they're all downstairs. They look up and there she is doing like a back bend. Oh. And yeah, running down the steps backwards, bent over. I don't even want to think about the, the logistics of this because it hurts my back to, to even try to imagine mm-hmm. it. But that scene, if it doesn't make you almost swallow your teeth, then you've got much more of a high an iron constitution than I do. Yeah, no that 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 movie definitely messed me up. That I, and I loved it, and and it inspired me to write a scene in Ain't No Messiah where they use a crucifix as a dildo. <laughs> like, well, you know, they should they should start selling those a lot more you know, in a lot more adult stores. You know, you're driving down the highway and. You see those billboards like hell is real. And then the very next thing you see is that adult bookstore. Yep. <laughs> they they should have like the, the crucifix dildo right there on the, the I, billboard. I, I, I actually looked it up. I, I did my research and they, they sell them. God bless America. Yeah. Oh, I, I love it. And I hate it all at once. Yeah, I got to yeah, have I one. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I think they put it on my wall. <laughs> But tell me this, is, is it like right side up or is it like the upside down cross? That That's important I, to know. I think I did, I think I did a right side up and it's nice and smooth and it's clean and the, the possible second coming of Christ puts his initials in it. So it's all the, it's, second, the second coming of Christ, yeah. <laughs> you dirty oh, bastard. <laughs> oh, he, does, he, he also does. Yeah, there's there's a lot of porn in that book. Yeah. So well, you're not you're not dissuading me from it. <laughs> awesome. I, yeah, I think I think you'd appreciate it. I think. For sure. Man, dude, I appreciate you coming on and sharing all these suggestions. They sound awesome. I'm sure it's a blast, man. I'm glad to be here. Very cool. And now, can you remind us where can we hear your show? Yeah, man. So anywhere that you find your podcast, you can find Slasher Sports Cinema. That's me. I am going to share my my link tree with you, if if you don't mind putting that maybe in the bio to the episode. That way I don't have to inundate everybody with the vocals on, on here. But Slasher Sports Cinema is my podcast. I do have some partners on at Slasher Sports. We've got Suki's Honeydew Project, which is a really fun podcast in, in, in its own right. 
basically she wants to help pe people get out of the house, find things to do. Cause you know, people just don't want to move. People mm. are afraid to get into things and she wants to talk to like real life people, but like, just like you and me who are into things That's and cool. yeah, and she's had some great guests already. And then we've got slasher U, which is the sports side of slasher sports where they're covering all things, college football. And we're not talking about just the, you know, the top 25. Like, I'm talking UTSA Vanderbilt university, any big news that's coming up, they're covering it and they do a, such a good job. And of course, slashersports.com is you know our website. Find us on any of those. But again, if you look in the episode bio, it's going to be in that link tree. So you're more than welcome to check us out and hit us up on any form of social media that we have listed. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. We will be going out on this short story from Twisted Reunion, which is Wrong Side Tavern. But Billy, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful night. I appreciate you coming on. Likewise, my man. Thank you. Wrong Side Tavern. Paulson logged off the computer and shut down the Amtrak's controls. What Hank would have been doing if it hadn't been for that damn van. The grisly accident outside San Diego had delayed his run by more than two hours. Overtime was always a pleasant addition to his engineer's salary, but the long day had taken its toll on him, and he was ready to get home. Hank waited until all the passengers were gone before he stepped off the train. A few of his porters nodded their good nights, and Hank headed for the escalator instead of the employee parking lot. His truck was in the shop, and he lived within walking distance of the station. It would have been easy to grab a cab, but Hank wasn't in a hurry now that he was off the train. Plus, he could use the exercise, and with any luck, the midnight air would clear his mind. The wreck was still heavy in his thoughts, the woman's head poking through the windshield. It had been the van's fault. It had slammed right into her Camry and knocked her car through the crossing gates. Hank couldn't have stopped in time. Hank looked up and down the block, not quite sure which way to go. He'd never used the pedestrian exit or actually walked home. The blinking yellow traffic light barely visible through the fog had to be First Street. All he had to do was cross the tracks, go left at the light, and then walk another six or seven blocks. He'd be home in half an hour. Three teenagers wearing blue bandanas were hanging out at the corner. Hank didn't know if he should nod, make eye contact with them, greet them, or just keep his eyes down. They kept staring at him, letting him know he had no business being on their street. Hank opted for studying the sidewalk and the broken glass before turning left at the corner, his hard soles clicking on the concrete. His footfalls weren't the only ones, though. The teenagers' footsteps echoed close behind him. Hank walked a bit faster, fighting the temptation to turn around and ask why they were following him. Did he disrespect them by not looking at them, or was he simply an easy target? Why the hell hadn't he called a cab? They matched his speed. Hank crossed the deserted street, didn't bother to look both ways. Two sets of footsteps crossed with him. The third thug stayed on the other side, walked directly across from Hank, who could see him out of the corner of his eye. Hank took both hands out of his pockets in case he had to defend himself, and accelerated his stride. He flinched when one of the guys behind him cleared his throat. Man, I just love this speedwalking shit. Great way to stay in shape, huh, dudes? Nah, player. It just gets me all sweaty, said the other in a deep voice. 
Wag is sweaty, I get pissed. The intimidation tactic was working, but Hank wasn't about to give up his wallet just yet. Despite his pounding chest and burning legs, Hank kept up the pace. He searched both sides of the street for any sign of life, tried to remember passing any gas stations or liquor stores whenever he drove through this run-down stretch of town. Whether it was his nerves or Deuce and his partner talking behind him, Hank couldn't recall anything being open this late. The only lights ahead of him were traffic signals. If Hank tried to run, he'd guarantee a beating, or maybe worse. He only had a hundred or so dollars in his wallet, which he would gladly part with if they would leave him alone. But now that he'd led them this far, Hank didn't think they'd just walk away. A small neon sign flickered up ahead. Wrong Side Tavern. Hank had never noticed it before. Below the sign was a flashing arrow pointing down the alley. Hank figured he could call a taxi or cops from inside the establishment if he could make it to the entrance. Hey, where are you headed, white boy? Deuce called. You don't want to head down there. Hank kept walking, prayed he hadn't just made a terrible mistake and trapped himself in a dead end. Another glow was coming from halfway down the dark alley. Not caring what the thugs thought of him, Hank took off running toward the flashing neon. The sound of his slapping shoes and thundering heart blocked out all other noise as Hank raced past dumpsters and inky puddles. His lungs were on fire when he reached the entrance. Hank grabbed hold of the handle and yanked the door open. Much lighter than it looked, it flew open and out of his hand, banged against the wall. Hank caught the door on the rebound and slammed it shut behind him. Gripping the handle, he braced for a tug of war. But no one tried to pull back. There weren't any noises in the alley either. But people in the bar were talking, probably wondering what kind of drug he was tripping on. Hank let go of the handle and headed for the counter, accidentally bumped a man on crutches. The man, missing a leg, continued toward the back of the dimly lit bar mumbled something about Hank needing to watch where he was going. Hank walked toward the bar, unable to remember ever being in a place so grim and depressing. Still, it was better than being mugged or even killed. He studied the empty tables with their dingy white tablecloths. The joint wasn't dirty, but it had a bad feel to it, unlike any other dive bar he'd been inside. The patrons slouching in the booths that lined both walls weren't here to watch a game or pick up chicks. Their dejected faces told him they came to this bar for one reason. To forget. Would you mind calling me a cab? Hank asked the burly bartender with thick glasses. His right arm was missing just below the shoulder. Hank didn't mean to flinch. Well, that was quick. What is it? The bartender sniffed at his armpit. Do I offend? Oh, no. Hank looked at the grimy window, unable to see anything in the alley. I just had one hell of a day. The bartender said he understood and picked up the phone. One at the wrong side. After a pause, he thanked them and hung up. They're on their way. Care for a drink while you're waiting? Although he promised himself he was done with that, at least on a work night, Hank said, Oh, why the hell not? Give me that stout. He had a lot on his mind. The thugs outside the paperwork he'd have to face in the following weeks, even though he couldn't have avoided the wreck. If anyone in the bar deserved a drink, it was him. Hank took a seat on the stool and noticed that a track ran the length of the counter. He pointed to the rails and asked, So, who's on the wrong side, you or me? 
only having one arm didn't slow the bartender. He set the mug between two rail ties and set it sliding to Hank. I'm afraid it's everyone who sets foot in this place. Hank raised his drink and took a long swig. That's not very uplifting. Yeah, but it's a catchy name, don't you think? Hank nodded and took another drink, tried to sound nonchalant when he asked, Is there a back door to this place, maybe somewhere else the cab can pick me up? Oh, there's no back door. He motioned toward the entrance with his stump. That's the only way in or out. Why do you ask? I'd hate for the cabbies not to find this place. No worries. He'll come down the alley right up to the door. The man scratched his stumbly black beard and studied Hank, the hint of a smile on his lips. Let me guess. Someone follow you? Yeah. Three black guys. How'd you know? If they keep scaring people into here, I'm going to have to start tipping them. You're lucky, though. I've heard about a couple of people who didn't make it in here. I won't say it was them for sure, but it wasn't pretty. And Deuce is known to be good with his blade. Hank tried not to look at the stump. They ever mess with you? No one ever messes with us. That's why we like this place. It's almost like we don't exist. Hank looked around the sparsely populated bar. I don't mean to be rude, but isn't part of running a bar wanting people to come in? You know, attract more business? The thing is, ever since my accident, money hasn't meant a thing to me. Well, that must be nice. Hank finished his beer and checked his watch. Did they happen to say how long it would be? Well, they always say 20 minutes. Are they ever on time? Might as well make yourself comfortable. Looks like you could use another drink. Hank set his empty glass between the rails and slid it toward the bartender. It tipped over and shattered against the tie. Ah, oh, shit, I'm sorry, Hank said. The already quiet bar was now completely silent. He tried to help pick up the large pieces of glass, but the bartender waved him off. Don't sweat it. The bartender held up a fresh mug and asked, Another one? Hank nodded, and the man filled the mug, set it between the rail ties, and slid it across the counter. Hank picked up his drink. You make it look so easy. I didn't think I threw it that hard. The bartender leaned forward and whispered, Glass gotta be full. Hank emptied his second round in three healthy gulps and handed it back. Maybe, maybe one more. The bartender poured another glass. Hell of a day, huh? Hell of a year is more like it. Work? Hank nodded, tried to block the images from earlier in the day. The bartender slid the mug over. What you do? I'm an engineer. Well, what kind? Mechanical? Um, actually, I'm, I'm a train operator. Dude, it was a joke. Take a look around. He pointed out the railroad signs plastered on the walls, the crossing signal next to the bathrooms, the various train paintings hanging from thick iron spikes jammed into the walls. I know what an engineer is. I'm sorry. My head's somewhere else. Hank took another drink. The bartender told him not to worry about it, and then excused himself to serve the wino in a wool hat at the far end of the bar. Hank looked at the large painting above the shelves of booze. He shuddered and set down his drink, afraid he might drop it. What kind of sick bastard would think the depiction of a train derailment was appropriate to display anywhere, especially in a place like this? 
body parts scattered on the ground, some lying underneath the overturned engine car. Hank closed his eyes to block it out, but the death and destruction from the painting evoked images from today's accident, swirled together in a crimson collage. It didn't matter if the thugs were outside waiting for him. Hank slid off his stool, threw a twenty on the counter, and turned for the door. A beautiful brunette sat at the nearest table, her bright red blouse and matching beret a sharp contrast to the white tablecloth. Hank turned back to the bar, scooped up his money and downed the rest of his beer. When the bartender returned, Hank asked who the woman was. She's in here by herself, if that's what you're asking. No, she just, she just looks familiar. None of my business who you know. He polished a glass trapped between the counter and his waist. Why don't you go talk to her? Hank stole a glance at the woman and then asked for a whiskey. He promised himself he'd stop after this one. Yeah, hell, the taxi would probably show up before he even had time to finish. You, uh, you wouldn't happen to know what she drinks, would you? Can't say I've ever seen her in here before. That'd be a question for her. That's fine. Uh, give me a screwdriver, another whiskey, and a water. You're the boss. Hank balanced all four drinks in his hand and approached the table. She was so beautiful, her eyes so blue. Hank stumbled on his pickup line. One thing I can't handle seeing is a woman in need of anything, and I noticed you were without a drink. In a melodic voice, she said, Thank you for noticing, but I, I don't drink. The good news is that I do. These three are for me. Hank set down the alcoholic beverages. The water is for you, though. Her smile almost made the horrible day bearable. That's thoughtful of you. Mind if I sit? Hank asked. I, I didn't think you'd want to. Now it was Hank's turn to smile, although he got the feeling he was missing something. As he sank into the chair, his legs disappeared beneath the long tablecloth. The woman didn't touch her water, but Hank started on his whiskey and asked, So what in the world are you doing in a place like this? She adjusted her beret and said, I don't know. I was on the 415 and then something told me to come here. Hank wondered if he'd heard correctly. The 415? That's the one. Why? I just can't believe I didn't notice you. Did you take it too? Uh, actually, I, I operated. No fooling? Not wanting to appear conceited, Hank said, uh, It's really no big deal. The thing practically runs itself. When he asked, the woman said her name was June. She patted the back of his hand. I'm sure you're just being modest. You have so much responsibility. I, I suppose it does take its toll. Hank finished his drink, set it down. How do you mean? Hank pulled over the screwdriver but didn't take a drink. No need for her to suspect he was an alcoholic. Cranking up the emotion like a sad insurance commercial, he said, Sometimes bad things happen, but you just have to deal with it and go on. What happened, Hank? She gave his hand a light squeeze. Did something happen today? Hank let out a long sigh, nodded, and gulped down half the screwdriver. What? An accident? Was it an accident? Yeah. Some van plowed into a woman stopped at the crossing. and caused me to hit her, too. What was he doing? He was probably high, or just stupid, maybe texting. They'll find out in the autopsy. June took his hand in both of hers. How can you stand it? 
the funny thing is, is that I don't feel that bad. And this one wasn't my fault. I braked. Hard. Almost all of them couldn't have been avoided. You've hit others? There are over a thousand deaths a year on the rails. And I'm afraid I've got eight of those. And you haven't quit. Hank finished the screwdriver. That's what I was saying. The people I've hit don't bother me that much. Most of them are just strung out on drugs and, and want to die. Instead of suicide by cop, it's suicide by train. A decent person will just slit their wrists or pop some pills, stay indoors. Why mess up everyone else's day? That is pretty selfish. Why do you think so many trains are delayed and canceled? Well, I've, I've never thought of it like that. Hank took a swig of the second whiskey. I feel worse about the animals. When I honk, they usually either freeze in fear or run directly down the tracks. I mean, imagine that. Imagine seeing someone's poodle sprinting for its life, knowing you can't do a thing to stop the tons of metal bearing down on it. June shook her head. That's awful. Hank wiped his hand on his pants and smoothed the wrinkles. Would you mind if we talked about something else? Of, uh, of course not. I, I'm so sorry. Hank smiled at her and told her not to be silly. So, what about you? Is there a lucky guy waiting for you somewhere? June shook her head so hard her hat nearly came off. No, no, no one wants me. Are you serious? June cast her eyes down. I... I don't have a lot to offer. Don't say that. You're beautiful. That's something. June looked up, tears welling in her eyes. I know what I am. You're talking crazy. Hank got up from the table and said, I'm going to get you a drink. At the bar, while Hank was clearing his tab, a loud squeaking came from the rear of the bar. An elderly man pulled a rusty red wagon toward the bathroom. It was hard to see him in the dim light, but it looked like he was carrying a pile of dirty clothes. Here you go. The bartender handed Hank his change and said, Ah, oh, eh, nah, it's just Jimmy. He's harmless. Hank carried two drinks back to the table. He took his seat and placed a bright green cocktail in front of June. I, I can't, really. She pushed it away from her. Hank took hold of her hands. Just try it. It's a Midori Sour. Almost no alcohol in it. I'm such a lightweight, Hank, and, and this stuff will run right through me. You need it. We both need it. He eyed his whiskey and said, Come on, beautiful. What do you say? June sighed and stopped pushing away the drink. I guess one won't kill me. That's more like it. Hank casually slipped his leg under the table, sticking it out to see how she'd react. If she pushed back against his foot, they'd be back in his bedroom within the hour. If she played it cool and moved away, it could take a date and maybe even a dinner or two. He was still blindly searching for her leg when the squeaking started again. What's with this place? Hank sat up, the mood ruined. What, they give discounts to cripples and crazies? June threw her head back in laughter. It was so loud it was almost terrifying. Not knowing what else to do, Hank asked, Look, are we, we going to do this or not? He held up his glass for a toast, 
mildly surprised when she joined him. He finished his whiskey and noticed a steady, dripping sound. It was coming from under the table. June set down her empty glass and asked Hank if he was okay. I think I must have spilled something. I'm sorry. It was probably me. I, mean, I, I can be so clumsy sometimes. She licked her lips. W would you mind looking for me? Hank lifted the tablecloth and stuck his head under the table. A puddle of bright green liquid pooled around the legs of her chair. He was about to warn her to move her feet out of the way so they wouldn't get wet, when he realized she didn't have any. The green liquid dribbled out of June's exposed intestines and dangled a few inches below the ragged edge of her severed torso. Hank bolted upright, the back of his head slamming into the table, his mind filled with darkness. June's icy hands shocked him back into reality. She held both of his wrists, smiled as if nothing was wrong. I told you, it runs right through me. At least since this afternoon. Let go of me! Hank tried to pull his arms free and get up from the table. At least since this afternoon. Wait. He did know her. She was the woman from today. Where are you going, Hank? June squeezed his wrists, his tendons and bones grinding together painfully. Hank shouted for help, looked around the room, anywhere but at June, that beautiful face he'd seen sticking through the windshield. June wouldn't let go of him, even as he continued to back away. Her torso slid across the table, leaving a bloody trail as she knocked over their empty glasses. June's hat fell to the side, revealed her crushed skull that looked as if someone had hammered away at it with a brick the skull he'd seen poking through the glass. But he hadn't done that. The van had hit her. It had run the flashing lights, slammed into her. Or, or, or had it? No. The woman had been stalled out on the tracks. Hank had seen her before the van came barreling at her. The van had been trying to help. Hank hadn't been able to hit the brakes in time. June crashed to the ground, brought the table down with her. Hank ripped his hands free, backed into the counter, and spun around. He yelled to the bartender. Call the cops! Call someone! The bartender smiled and scratched at his beard. And, and why would I do that? June dragged herself toward him on her elbows. Hank screamed, Look at her! But you said I was beautiful! She wailed. The squeaking of the wagon made Hank freeze. The old man pulled the rusty red thing to the front door, dropped the handle. To hell with you! Hank shouted at June, to the bartender, to the patrons oozing out of their booths. He ran to the wagon and kicked the back of it, the pile of rags in the back falling out and somehow tangling around his legs. The rags were heavy, anchoring Hank to the floor. He tried to kick them off, but both of his legs were pinned. He looked down and saw a mixture of flesh and cloth. The raw meat nearly indistinguishable from the mangled jeans the woman had been wearing earlier today. Hank pulled on the door, but it wouldn't open. June kept calling him honey, creeping closer. The bartender whistled, tossed a sharpened rail spike in the air as he made his way over. The forms of disfigured patrons advanced upon the entrance that would never be an exit. <laughs>